Hi. Good to see you all. Um, I, I said this earlier in the in the congregational meeting, but um, Jess and I have felt so loved by you all as a church family. Uh, you guys have embraced us and welcomed us and loved us so well. So I just want to say thank you from, from Jess and I. Thank you very much for that. Uh, if you would turn into your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're actually going to be looking at the last verse in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians 13, the very last verse, verse 14. We are continuing our series. This is the second week in the Astonished series. And today we are looking at the triune God, the triune God, which is hilarious that um, I'm up here <laughs> attempting to just talk about something that's been discussed over church history for, for millennia, literally. Church history has been talking about the triune God. So for 35 minutes, I'll just explain it perfectly so that you'll know exactly. I'll just sum all that up for you um, just so you're ready to go, okay? Uh, the series that we're in has a big idea to the entire series, and the big idea comes from uh, Dr. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So this series is walking through the attributes of God and helping us to think theologically, so growing in theological literacy, uh, but also growing in biblical literacy as we look at Old and New Testament, these themes as they run through the Bible, but then also growing in worship and in devotion. Tozer's comment here is basically to say, if you want your worship to be high and glorious, then get some high and glorious thoughts about the God who you worship. And when our worship is cold and boring and blah, y'all know what I'm talking about? When worship feels blah, the reason it feels blah is because your thoughts are blah about God. That's the purpose of this series. The reason you're bored in worship is because you're bored in your thoughts about God. So that's what we're going after. So the triune God is what we're looking at this morning. Um, and really, technically, the, the Trinity is not an attribute of God. It is who he is. And so technically, this isn't an attribute. But the rest of the attributes will be in the context of the triune God himself. So I know we've prayed a couple of times. Let me pray, and then we're going to go after the text. Father, we thank you for your presence here. You are a good father. You have always been a good father. We honor you this morning. And Jesus, we glorify you. You are the creator and redeemer of the world. You are our champion and our victor and our hero. And Holy Spirit, you are the love of the Father and the Son poured into our hearts. So we welcome you here to teach challenge, to encourage, and to ignite our hearts and our minds with a great worship of you. So we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the message is in four parts. Number one, the tension of the Trinity. 
Number two, the mission of the Trinity. Number three, the community of the Trinity. And then finally, so what? Why are we talking about this? So what? So number one, the tension of the Trinity. The big idea of this section is this, that the doctrine of the Trinity is beyond our rationality. The only way forward is to embrace the mystery and hold the tension of the triune God in our minds, to hold that tension. So let's look at the text. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, last verse. This is the benediction that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the entire book of 2 Corinthians ends with this Trinitarian statement from Paul. So Paul has written this entire letter, and he says, this is, this is the period and the exclamation point on my letter, and he gives a Trinitarian blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, being the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's saying that love grace, and fellowship, if you're going to experience any of that, it is coming through this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So let's define the Trinity. When we define the Trinity, what we see is that this is one God. God is one God, and he is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a unity to this God in that there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 is very clear on this. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The reason that's being said there is because the people of Israel are engaging with peoples that were polytheistic. They were worshiping multiple gods. And Yahweh is speaking and explaining through Moses to the people of Israel. He said, listen, uh, just so that we're all clear, there are not multiple gods. There is one God. And, he, and I am who I am. That's what God is saying. There is one God. So there's a unity to this trinity. But there's also a diversity. There are three individual persons. Throughout Scripture, we see this doctrine at play, that there are three unique persons. And each of these persons is divine and fully 100% God. So just very, very quickly, John, in the beginning of his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So he's clearly defining Jesus as God. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures to make these points, but I just, I just want to make sure to give a couple. The Spirit, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, do you know that you are God's temple because the Spirit of the living God dwells inside of you, connecting the Holy Spirit with God himself? And the Great Commission is a triune commission that puts all three on equal standing. Standing says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what happened is the New Testament authors never actually have a verse where they're like, okay, Trinity equals blah, blah, blah. They never do that. It's this thing that is, is throughout the scriptures. And so what happens is the early church sees this happening, and then they see, okay, when we worship, we're worshiping the Father, and we're worshiping Jesus, and we're worshiping the Holy Spirit. We're seeing all three as God. And so the church begins to go, okay, how should we call this? What, what should we say about this thing? And so there's multiple councils. 
It's just like any church. There's a lot of committees that get together. We're going to have a lot of conversations. We're going to get some white papers together. We're going to create some documents. And the doctrine of the Trinity is articulated. It didn't start when the early church did that. The doctrine of the Trinity is in the text. But the early church begins to articulate it and write it down. So here's the tension, though. And you can see it in that last one. Each person is fully 100% God. I'm not a math major, but if the Father is 100% God, and Jesus is 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is 100% God, and you add those three together, do you get 300%? That doesn't work, right? There's a tension. There's a tension when we start to think about this God, that he is one God, and he is three individual, 100% God. And what happens is when we have that tension... Because let's be honest, if you could define God and it's no problem and you got it written down and it's all good, then you're not actually talking about God. You're talking about something that you've made up in your mind. So you have to hold the tension. And I'm, I'm pressing this point because what happens is when we don't want to hold the tension, we start saying silly things. So there's a couple of errors that end up happening. One, you'll say, okay, if they're each 100% God, then they're just three gods. It's fine. The Father is a God and Jesus is a God. And the Holy Spirit is a God. And that's actually an error. But it's something to relieve that tension from my mind and from my heart. But it's not true. It's not tritheism. We don't have three gods. We have one God and three persons. The second error would be modalism, which is to say, okay, got it. This, here's how we'll resolve the tension. He's one God, but he'll start manifesting himself in three different modes, Right? And that's how we help relieve the tension. So people will say things like, okay, God's like H2O. Like sometimes he's ice, which sounds really cool, right? He's ice. Sometimes he's liquid. Sometimes he's gas, like the spirit. But that's not true either, because the father is always the father all the time, even when Jesus is there. It'd be like having ice and water together at the same time, even though the temperature is the same. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That it doesn't make sense. It's just a way to relieve tension. The third version would just be to say, okay, okay, okay. God the Father, he's God, but the Son, Jesus, is a created being. That's what people will say. He's a created being. He's just a prophet, just a good guy, not fully God. We got, we got the Father. We're good with him. Jesus, not fully God. The Holy Spirit, super weird, also not fully God. Some sort of abstract force thing. Again, and that's an error. <laughs> so um, we need to hold the tension, and the tension goes like this. God has eternally existed. Like if you were to start from now and go into the past, into eternity, he has always existed as one God and three co-eternal, co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There has always been a Father. There has always been the Son. And there has always been the Spirit. And they are completely equal, 100% God. And there is one singular God. So hold it. <laughs> so if your mind hurts right now, you're doing it right. Okay? I just want to be honest with you. And as soon as you try to, I don't, wanna, I don't want my mind to hurt, then you go into one of these three errors. So hold 
the tension. Now, here's a, here's a picture. Um, the medieval church uh, came up with this. It's called the Shield of the Trinity to help people think through this. So you see God in the center. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. They are unique. They are different. The Father is not the Son. They are two unique persons. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. He is distinct from the Son. And the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct. And yet God is the Father. God is the Son. And God is the Holy Spirit. So just another way for us to hold that tension in balance. The shield of the Trinity. So, again, if your brain is hurting, you're doing it right. Two, understand that this Christianity is unique. Christianity is not, is not strictly monotheistic. Judaism is strictly monotheistic. It is not Trinitarian. Islam is strictly monotheistic. It is not, it is not Trinitarian. It's also, Christianity is not also not polytheistic like Buddhism or Hinduism, with multiple gods that we're dealing with. It is unique. Christianity's claim about God is unique among all religions. No religion says about God what Christianity says about God. Okay, so hold that tension. Part two. Part two. The mission of the Trinity. Let's look at the text again. This is verse 14. The mission of the Trinity. Paul writes... The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. There's, there's a big idea here, and the big idea of this part of the message is this. The triune God is on a mission. The three persons of the Trinity are working together to accomplish a glorious and redemptive work of grace. You see it in the text. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as Paul says grace, we're in, a, we're in a very specific lane and a very specific category of doctrine and of thinking. Grace. So what is grace and how are the three in the Trinity involved in this grace thing? I just want to take your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. I don't have time. I mean, Ephesians chapter 1 needs three sermons in itself, so I'm not going to have time to to go exhaustively through this. But I just want you to see what Paul is doing. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. This, the mission of the Trinity is all about bringing and reconciling all people to himself. It's a, it's a, a grace mission. Paul writes this. And what's crazy is Paul's been listening to our sermon series because Paul... <laughs> Paul fashions this in the context of worship. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. He said, Blessed, all praise be to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the Father specifically. This is what the Father does in the atonement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us. The Father chooses us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, this eternity past. We were chosen by the Father. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose 
of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So in this trinity, the Father is, has chosen people, humanity, to be to himself. He has chosen us and he has adopted us. That's what the Father is doing in the atonement. And then Paul continues. This is what the Son does, starting in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now he's talking about Jesus. Through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the Father has chosen to save and to adopt people to himself. The Son has actually come and been incarnate has come and put on flesh to die for the sins of the world, to redeem people back to the Father. So you see what's happening here? The Father is doing something, and the Son is doing something. And then Paul writes, and the Spirit seals us. In this Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, all worship language about what the Father is doing, the Son is doing, and what the Spirit is doing. Sealing, that the Spirit seals the reality of the adoption of the Father and the redemption of the Son. He seals it in us. Father, Son, and Spirit are on a mission. So why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because sometimes we look at the Father and we think he's the bad guy that's mad at us and Jesus is the good guy that came to save us. Are y'all hearing me? Sometimes the Father is like the angry dad and the Son is like the fun uncle that makes it right. Like, the father's sitting here like, I hate, I hate Jamie so much for what he did. And the, and the son's like, hey, it's good, it's good, it's good. Like, Jesus is the fun one, and the father is the angry one. But the fact of the matter is this. Before the father, son, and spirit created anything, they already had a plan because they loved us. Before creating anything, this family said, I know, we're, we're going to create these people. They're going to rebel against us, and they are going to die if we don't save them. And they created us anyway. Like, Jesus knew the cross was coming before he created time. Like, before the first Adam is spoken into being, Jesus knows there's a crucifixion coming. Are y'all hearing me? The triune God, when we think about the triune God, we're thinking about this family that doesn't need anything. They are mutually delighting in one another. And yet they create. Jesus, the one who will die for us, holds the universe by his own power. The Spirit was hovering over the waters, the chaotic waters. The Father chose to adopt us into his family. The, the Trinity has a mission. They have a plan. It's not just three divine persons just like, okay, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What, 
Well, what do you want to eat? You want to get some, you want to get some sushi? I don't, I don't know. Like then, they have a plan. And the plan includes loving us and dying for us and bringing us into this family. And to me, and, and Paul is articulating this in Ephesians, to me, when my heart steps into, okay, it's now worship time at church, okay? My mind and my heart, when I'm not ready to worship, like the band starts, the preacher and teacher are talking, it's, it's time to worship. When my heart's not there, this is what I'm thinking about. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, would you ignite on my heart as I remember the good news that you have a plan and you have put it into place to choose and adopt me, to die for me, and to seal me as your son. And when I start to do that, so the music starts and everyone's like, yeah, and I'm like, am I the only one? I don't think so. Let's be honest. But when my heart is not ready to worship, it's because I've forgotten the good news of the triune God that has saved me. And so then I begin to remember again. And Paul said, all praise, blessed be the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to worship here in a second. And we're going to respond to this triune God for his love for us. Okay, i got to keep going. Third part of this message, the community of the Trinity. Let's look at the text again. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love, that's the word agape, the love of God the Father and the fellowship, that's the word koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So follow me again. Grace, love, and fellowship are a part of the triune God. And that's what Paul's saying. May the grace of God be to you. May the agape love of the Trinity be with you. May the koinonia, the fellowship of this triune God, be with you. He's praying for the people based off of who the triune God is. Grace, love, and fellowship. So agape, love, koinonia, fellowship. Again, very specific words that are describing the community of the Trinity. Have you ever thought about God, that God is a community in and of himself? He, he is a family in and of himself. From eternity past, there has been love and fellowship in God. Family didn't start with Adam and Eve. Family started in, actually didn't start. It, it's always been. Are y'all hearing me? The concept of family and community never started. It has always been. It, it, it blows the mind, doesn't it? Again, if I went into the past for eternity, there's still a family there. I, I can't get to the end of it. There's still family. There's a father, a son, and a spirit. So how do they exhibit this community? A couple of ways. Number one, there's a mutual love and delight in one another. We see this at the baptism of Jesus. This is Matthew 3. 
When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father, the, the Spirit of God rests on the Son, and the Father speaks, and this phrase, this statement he makes about Jesus is spectacular. This is my boy in whom I delight. I delight in him. He brings joy to me. When I think about him, my entire being lights up with joy. That's what the father is saying about the son. And he has always thought that. Have you ever been around someone and it was like, oh, I don't think they really like me very much. And Because it, it feels prickly. You know what I'm saying? Like you get around someone. And you're like, Something, something's not, and maybe it's just EQ, right? But there's something that's like, ooh, something's not right. It has never been such with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There is a mutual love and delight in among themselves from eternity past. There's a delighting. There's a love. There is a love and a tenderness and a unity and a connection that we can't even fathom. I know the Sessler's anniversary is today. Jess and I, our anniversary is today. And even the union of a husband and wife is infinitely small compared to the union of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Are y'all hearing me? Like 40? 40 years for Steve and Judy of intimacy, union, togetherness. Imagine eternity past of no disagreements. I mean, we, we can't even comprehend this kind of connection and unity and togetherness. And yes, that's what the triune God is. Another thing, there is a mutual submission and yielding to one another. That God submits to God. Jesus, I can't go through all these, but Jesus submits himself. Listen, he's fully God, and he submits himself to the Father and the Spirit. Jesus submits to the Father. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but only what the Father tells me to do, which is mind-boggling. He's God. He has authority to do whatever he wants to do, and he submits and yields to the Father. Jesus also yielded to the Spirit. He only moved as the, as the Spirit led him. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, and Jesus submitted to the authority of the Spirit of God. It's crazy. When you're the boss and you created everything, why would you submit to anything? And yet he submits. The Spirit submits to the Son and the Father. Jesus says things like, the Spirit will only say, he doesn't speak on his own authority, he'll only say what I say. <laughs> so God will only say he will submit and yield to the authority of the Son and the Father. And the Father, whoo. Remember what Jesus said at the Great Commission? What did he say? Half, one third of the authority has been given to me, therefore, grow. did he say that? Like the third that I'm due, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. Who gave him that authority? The Father and the Spirit. <laughs> he says, I have all authority. 
It's been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And for all of eternity, the Father will yield a measure of glory to the Son forever. In the book of Revelation, it shows that there is eternal worship, and it is explicitly Lamb-centric. Listen, the worship of eternity is explicitly Christocentric. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? When, we, when we're worshiping this triune God, it is explicitly through the Lamb who was slain on the throne. That means for all of eternity, the Father and the Spirit are yielding a measure of glory to Jesus, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because sometimes for us, submission is a bad word. But we're to be mutually submissive to one another. Isn't that what the Bible says? Like, in in fact, Paul says it. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, right before he says this Trinitarian benediction, he gives five imperatives. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Imperative number one. Aim for restoration. Number number three, comfort one another. Number four, agree with one another. Number five, live in peace. All of these imperatives are built off of the mutual submission and love and grace and koinonia of the triune God. We are commanded to be as the Father, Son, and Spirit are. Listen, when we as the church are commanded to be unified, it is because the Trinity is unified. When we're commanded to yield to one another and consider each other more important than ourselves, Philippians 2, we do that because the Father, Son, and Spirit do that. There's a grounding to the command to yield to one another, and it's found in the Trinity. So we have to ask some questions of ourselves. Why is it that in the church, sometimes we don't yield to one another? And why is it when we're in community, there's more backstabbing than there is mutual delight and love in one another? And it's not just in the church. The implications of the triune God, this this family, this koinonia, this love persons, what they did is they said, you know, we're together, but we're going to bring those who are outside and not like us. We're going to bring them into this love and into this union. And so what does that mean for our approach towards those who are outside of faith? That the the triune God himself, the Father, Son, and Spirit, looked at us when we were his enemies. We were not like him. We spit in his face and we ran away from him. And Jesus comes and dies on the cross for us to embrace us and to bring bring us into that union. And yet we will look at people outside of faith like I don't like you. And I hope you die and go to hell. Let's be honest, right? The manner of hatred that we have for people who are not like us does not model the love of the Trinity reaching out to us when we were not like him and bringing us into this family. 
Our nation doesn't look like that kind of mutual delight and submission and love for one another. And neither do our churches. We're to look like the one who says, you're different than me. I will, I will sacrifice for you to bring you into this family. Our church family is to look like the divine family, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay. Finally, so what? And I've been sprinkling some so what's throughout. So what? Three big takeaways. Three big takeaways. They're centered around love, community, and then prayer and worship. The first, with regard to love. The triune God is the home and love that you've been longing for. Jesus says in John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. This eternal, pre, pre-existent family from eternity past wants to make their home with us. One of the reasons we feel such anxiety and stress and loneliness and disconnection is we don't realize the connection that we're really longing for is the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we get inserted into that family by faith in Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection. What you long for in terms of connection is found in the triune God. So the so what is, I've just been thinking about people who struggle with depressive thoughts, with suicidal thoughts. People who struggle in their mind, and at times all of us deal with this, right? Where we'll say something like, I'm unlovable, or it would be better if I wasn't here because no one really cares that I'm around or not. I don't really have a family. See, all of these thoughts are the lie of the enemy when divine, perfect, eternal family has said, come here. Through Jesus, come here. So when that thought enters your brain, I am unlovable, I'm not worth uh, my space on this earth, understand that the pre-existent family has said, I want you. I created you and I want you. You have been loved with an eternal, inexhaustible, perfect love from before the first Adam was spoken into being. You have been inexhaustibly loved. Second takeaway. You were created for community because you were created by a community. I'm I'm pushing here on, in the North American uh, context, and really a Western context, 
we think so individualistically about our faith. Like, Jamie's faith is really just about Jamie, the Father, Son, and Spirit. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm just going to do my quiet time. I'm going to do my thing. I don't really need a church family. I don't really need to be in community. I don't want to get stabbed in the back by people <laughs> in a small group. I don't want to experience this hurt and pain. But the fact of the matter is, I, Jamie, is not experiencing all that I've been created to experience when I'm not engaged in oikos with an extended family and community. I, I can't just be me and God or me and my immediate family and God. I can't really do that because I was created to be a part of a larger community. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? So I can't think individualistically and privatized sort of religious thing. Because the Father is not that way and the Son is not that way and the Spirit is not that way created for community. And see, it. this presses on issues, right? Like disagreements and getting stabbed in the back and having people come over to my house, right? It presses on spots that expose, you need the Trinity to come and bring wholeness to this place. You were created for community because you were created by a community. And finally, in terms of prayer and worship, I'm just thinking about daily life. Each member of the Trinity is unique and available to you and worthy of your worship. The Holy Spirit is fully 100% God and is worthy of our worship. And so is the Son, and so is the Father. And oh, by the way, when you pray, you can pray to any of these three persons. You can pray to Jesus. You can pray to the Spirit. You can pray to the Father. Now, some people will say, well, Jesus said, Jamie, Jesus said, pray like this, our Father. So they think that that's a limiting thing. <laughs> well, I should only pray to the Father. But we're praying in Jesus' name. Right? And, oh, by the way, just not to be too theologically technical about all this, we are praying through the Spirit to the Father and the Son anyway. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Okay, technically the Father and the Son are not here, technically, from a Trinity standpoint. Do you know the God who is here, technically, is the Holy Spirit? So if we're going to pray, we're praying through the Spirit. I'm just making the point, think through, what does it mean for me to live my day and to be conscious of all three members of the Trinity in my life. To pray to the Father, to pray to the Son, to pray to the Spirit, to engage in this triune God. We've got some small group discussion questions. I'm not going to read through these because I've already given it to the small group leaders, so they have these. But I've, I've got some questions up there. Um, if you're interested in seeing those, I'm happy to, to send those to you. But Stephen, you can go ahead and go through that these discussion questions. Last thing that I want to say, we're about to transition into worship. In fact, let me invite the band up. We're about to transition into worship. And I want you to see something. We're going we're gonna to celebrate Lord's Supper. I want you to see something. Next slide. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17. Paul writes in the, in the first letter that we have to the Corinthians. He says, 
the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? That word is koinonia. That word in bold is koinonia, the same word of fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all from our passage. Same word. Why am I saying that? Lord's Supper and communion is a tangible representation and symbol of the unity and fellowship that we have with each other and with the triune God. So when you come to the table, and what's great, I love that the fact that it's the Lord's table because it speaks of family. <laughs> like when I sit at the table and take the bread and the cup, I'm sitting there with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and there is a family and y'all, all y'all, Right? When we celebrate this, this is the Texan coming out in me. Ewans, whatever, you know. But when we come to the table, there is a koinonia, there is a fellowship with each other and with this divine family, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're going to worship. We're going to have some congregational worship together. And I invite you to just come to the table. It's just going to be free, just a free time. So for the next... 30 minutes or so, you just are free to come and just take the elements at the table while we're responding in congregational worship. The Father has made this possible. The Son has made it possible by his own life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the Spirit is sealing that in our hearts. Final thing as we move into a time of worship, I want to model for us an opportunity to pray to the Father, Son, and Spirit. So would you stand with me? We're going to read, read this responsive reading, this prayer together. And this is just modeling prayer to each member of the Trinity. I'll read the light print. If you'll read the bold print. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Gracious Father, you are the giver of all good things. For our home on earth and for your unfailing mercy, we give you thanks. Christ, our Redeemer, for your sacrifice on the cross and for rising from death so that we might live, we give you thanks and praise. Holy Spirit, giver of life, for your abiding presence in our lives, and for comforting and guiding us. We give you thanks, praise, and glory. O triune God, to you be glory and praise now and forever. Amen. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you to worship you. Abba, we thank you that you have chosen us before the foundations of creation. You chose us. You have loved us, not because we are lovely, but because you chose to love us. And Jesus, we honor you. You are the one who has come and taken on our flesh, taken on our sin and rebellion, and died in our place on the cross. And Holy Spirit, you are the presence of the Father and the Son here with us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, help us worship you, three in one ignite worship in us. And all God's people said, Amen.